Hello, true believers, and welcome back to Cinema Excelsior. Okay, this is part two of our ultra-long Spider-Man podcast. Uh, this time we're going to kick off with a conversation about, yes, the legendary World Unity Day Festival. We hope you enjoy. Thwip! All right, let's talk about Unity oh, God. Day. Bester, do you want to lead it off? Oh, my God. I just want to sit here and remember Unity Day. It's amazing. All right. So, Corp Industries World Unity, World Unity Day. Day Festival yeah. for giving it its full title. Yeah. So we first we first learn about this from uh, from the scene where uh, Norman is fired, uh, where it's announced that they're not they're not going to tell everybody that uh, Norman has been fired until after can, can World I, I want to Unity Day. Real quick. World, Stephen, World as Day a graduate Festival. of business school, does that scene make? any strategic sense because i thought that it basically the board was being pretty stupid well i mean you <clears throat> when you fire a senior executive at a major publicly traded company that's an extremely delicate thing i mean it, it is very rare especially considering that, as i understand that you, he would have been the founder and a large shareholder <laughs> right it is very rare that you would come out and say oh we're firing our ceo steve ballmer at microsoft yeah a few a few months ago, Steve Ballmer got fired. Mm-hmm. Like th- th- there is no question about it. Scott Forstall at Apple about a year ago. Scott Forstall got fired. What was the announcement that was made? I'm stepping aside to pursue other interests. These are very carefully coordinated things that are rolled out <coughs> gradually. And if you're dealing with a belligerent CEO slash founder, mm-hmm. even then, you handle that with a certain level of planning and delicacy. That, that under no circumstances would they tell Norman he's fired and then announce that he has been fired. That would not okay. happen. So delaying it, and especially if the, uh, the World Unity Day Festival, for whatever reason, was dependent on some image of stability, like they needed that to be executed properly, mm-hmm. and in order to do that, they needed people to see the company as stable, the delay makes mm-hmm. sense. What doesn't make sense is why a major military contractor is throwing the World Unity Day Festival. <laughs> the Raytheon World Unity Day Festival. Lockheed yeah. Martins. Brown Unity presents peace. I mean, let's be honest. Has a World Unity Day just gotten way too commercial? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the problem here? I mean, I remember the World Unity Days when I was a kid. Yeah. When it wasn't all about Halliburton. And can Ray. I? Yeah. Uh, can I point yeah, out dude. that this movie at the time I remember I, I I don't remember what its original release date was, but it was supposed to come out earlier than it did, and it was delayed. I think it was supposed to be Christmas of two thousand one, but it was delayed after nine eleven. They had to rework. Right. There were a lot yeah. of rumors that they had to rework something involving the Twin Towers, but I've later heard that was not true. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but well, I, I, it I get the sense line, that else. I mean that uh. The scene of New Yorkers throwing loaves of bread at Green Goblin is clearly a response to 9-11. And I would suspect that <laughs> the World the Unity American Day itself <laughs> was created in response to 9-11. I don't know if I buy the World Unity Day thing. That's a little too crucial to yeah. It could have been anything else. Well, I feel like World like Unity Day is, is a I phrase mean, that exists. World, in a- U- World Unity Day as a concept is it's like, I mean... It's something writers do all the time where we just pull holidays out of our butts. I mean, oh, I I'm not going to I mean, lie to you. We do it constantly. The most generic phrase that it could be. But uh, 
Like Arbor Day. <laughs> yeah, we Other than like Arbor Day. Celebration Day. Arbor Day you Arbor. Son of a bitch. Arbor Day is my fault. I'm going to call it. I'm just going to explain it right now. Hey, I did Arbor Day. I will not listen to any of you besmirch <laughs> the good name of Arbor Day. The trees are more important than any of you individually. Yeah. You, listen to him. He speaks yeah. to the trees. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize dudes <laughs> to be fair, were the Lorax. Anyone here is the Lorax, so much. it would be dudes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. The World Unity Day Festival. Um, it's a big festival in Times Square. <laughs> yeah. Oscorp big, is. Big, big balloons. Like Macy Day, Macy's Day balloons of like the globe. And I found some Macy Gray performing. Macy Gray is performing. Uh, Mary Jane is there in and she, a like Chinese style dress for some here, reason. Here's what uh, I, actually, I, forget the, I forget the proper name for that kind of dress. Stephanie. Here's might what I actually also uh, noticed: that, is that Norm, uh, Norman and Harry. Actually, Norman's not there. Harry is up there with Mary Jane. Peter Parker is down in the crowd with a hoi polloi. And I'm kind of thinking, Harry, he's your brother, your best friend, your roommate. He's not invited. Like, he's not I, invited. Can, can, but he's yeah, taking photographs. You're not invited. He's down on the ground taking <laughs> photographs. Like he's he's doing his job. I mean, he mm. can't he can't move through the crowd if he's up on the balcony. No, but he can get That's pictures good. of the VIPs. I prefer, I prefer Patrick's interpretation. Uh, <laughs> wait, at this point, is, uh, yeah. Uh, also, he doesn't. Is, he's not uh, supposed to know that they're dating. Is Harry still hiding? Yeah, yeah Harry is still hiding. Yeah. The Harry is still hiding it. Yeah. Yes, and Peter finds out uh, or spots them I, together. No, he's already he already knows that. because he's talking. He, he Mary knows, Jane. but he's yeah, I, I, Mary I skipped Jane the scene is, where Mary that, Jane told him in a very weird way. That scene where they repeat the phrase. Don't tell Harry. Don't tell Harry. <laughs> Don't tell if, Harry. If this, if this, You're drawing a six dollars show. If this series has a theme, it's that everybody is keeping secrets from Harry Osborn. Well, that that's actually worth exploring a little bit, I think, because Harry is every character's relationship with Harry is defined by wanting to protect or not hurt Harry, <laughs> without any consideration as to. What role Harry wants to play in his own life. Yeah, Harry is... His father, his friends, his girlfriend, his friend's aunt. No one wants to tell Harry anything. Well, I think it's clear that Harry doesn't really... Here is your dead father. I will not explain why he is dead or what happened. You will seek vengeance on me. Go. Yeah, I realize this is open to interpretation, but here's your dead father. (laughs) And then it continues on into the the second movie where Dr. Octopus is basically lying to Harry a lot of the movie. I don't remember anything about number two. We'll get to it, but it... The thing I remember is the sun in the river. I do remember that part. They throw and I remember sun Mary Jane saying, I've always been outside your door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm honestly really looking forward to Oh, God, let's please stories. keep talking about this one and get it over with. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so we've got the Unity Day Festival. Uh, the range on his spider sense must be several blocks because he senses the Green Goblin coming long before he appears. Look, the, the range of the spider sense is entirely up to the random dictates of the script. Spider yeah. sense works exactly the way the writers well, I'm actually, I'm actually yeah, Which is why I consistently call bullshit on the spider here. sense. The spider sense is... Spider-Sense has always worked via plot mechanics. That is not new. Exactly. Exactly. And this Sleep. Is exactly. If somebody wants to throw a, throw a brick at him and he needs to be knocked out at that moment, Spider-Sense is not going to work. But when Flash is going to punch him and he needs to be badass in front of the school... Yeah. By the way, I just want to make Thank a side you. note. Can I put a more... Uh, in, just in case, can I preemptively moratorium any discussion of one more day? Yeah. Yes, yes okay. Uh, moving on, the um, 
We've got the Unity Fe- Day Festival. And goblin shows up. There's some really bad banter. Also, when the Goblin shows up, everyone is paying attention to the Unity Day Festival, but everyone notices him when he is more than a half a block away. When have you ever seen something that is flying at you uh, and, and just pulled it out of the clear blue sky, along with literally everyone to, else in the crowd, before it has made a noise? I have to duck sometimes to dodge low-flying pigeons. <laughs> but you don't notice them yeah, you just when they're coming at New York you from a dude. half a block away. Yeah. Yeah, Especially exactly. That well, must make to be a fair, Macy Gray, if you were watching Macy Gray, you would probably be trying to find something else, anything to pay attention Macy, to. Macy Gray has a beautiful bass voice. And I have not liked one of her singles, but regardless, that woman can say. Fair enough. Uh, my favorite image, and there's a lot of great images, but my favorite is specifically when uh, once once the mayhem starts and the Green Goblin very specifically flies through the uh, balloon of the globe uh-huh. to explode it. Oh, I know you're uh-huh. going with this, Nick. I, I get it. <laughs> yes. Probably my favorite part of the scene is at the end when Spider-Man kidnaps Mary Jane. <laughs> I, actually, I actually, my favorite part of the scene is the part with the little kid who just stands there doing Don't nothing. Don't tell Harry! Yeah. Uh, and, and Spider-Man doesn't like takes a good long while to help that kid. He's like, "Kid, get out of the way!" <laughs> God, <laughs> fuck! I have to help you now. Um, he is still very new to this heroics thing. Yeah, this is like fourth day on the job for him. He's like, "God damn it, that fucking kid." Heroing is hard. It's yeah. nice that he gets over the death of uh, Uncle Ben, though, after he kidnaps Mary Jane and then gets to fly or, you know, swing away screaming, woohoo! <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's you know, that's kind of... Yes. I would actually like to touch on this because that is one of my few problems with Tobey Maguire's depiction of, of Spider-Man is that I think he makes it... Oh, I got a lot of <laughs> yeah. problems. Well, I mean, he definitely looks like Peter Parker, if that makes sense. Yeah. He that, look. Yeah, that, that, like, but he never really boy, nails He's a dweeby-looking, skinny white kid. He's got it. Like, he never had Spider-Man's, like... Spider-Man is the wise-cracking superhero. He does not crack wise. You know, he does not hmm, have that sort of... La- you know, that exuberance of Spider-Man being like, holy shit, this is so cool, no I can swing through the buildings as though they were canyons. Okay. My primary experience with Spider-Man is through the, the 90s animated series. So, all right. His level of enthusiasm in this film is like, oh, this is slightly faster than the subway. <laughs> yes. Um, a couple more things. First, before we move on, uh, does anyone have anything else to say about the Unity Day the thing festival? about the Unity Day festival is uh, skeletons. 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 That is so <laughs> Raimi. That was the most Raimi part of the entire movie, was when they just turn into skeletons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ah, yep. Um, yeah, so I want to touch on a couple of things uh, before we get to our next big thing. First, uh, we haven't talked about J. Jonah Jameson and J.K. Simmons being perfect oh, in that Oh, wait, role. we forgot. Uh, he is oh, not. Yeah. Uh, we forgot yeah. that uh, Stan Lee touches a little girl in that scene. Phrasing. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Phrasing, <laughs> Lana. He helps her to safety. Helps her to safety. Um... Jesus. Uh, no, so J.K. J. Simmons, um, S.J. Jonah Jameson, the name the Green Goblin. Has at, who actually has my favorite line in the movie. Um, 
when Peter Parker is very upset with him about printing pictures of Spider-Man, and he says, you can't print that. That's slander. That is not slander. I resent that. Slander is spoken when you print yep. the Bible. <laughs> hey, dude, what's your favorite line? Bonesaw is ready. <laughs> uh, appropriately enough, I was trying to think of what my favorite line from this film would be when you asked me that. <laughs> Yeah. I was really hoping you would come, again, I was really hoping you would come up with something else. Well, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I really want you to keep supporting J.K. Simmons and um, Willem Dafoe are, are almost acting in a different movie because they're really it's so committing it's so, so much energy to their roles. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, like, exactly. J, there's a reason J.K. Simmons has portrayed J. Jonah Jameson in every cartoon since this movie was released because the people who make the cartoons are not morons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. He is perfect mm. for that role. Uh, yeah, exactly. And they definitely, it's very broad performances, it's very camp performances, and it's like, just, they're definitely, they're doing the best work in this movie. If J. Jonah it's Jameson, very silly work, but it works very well. If J. Jonah Jameson well. comes back in the Amazing Spider-Man series, and he's not played by J.K. Simmons, I by will personally Simmons, storm yeah. the gates of so the Sony lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we, this is one of those things that we need to at least touch on briefly, uh, we probably need to talk about that terrible fucking kiss. <laughs> oh, the outside I feel like it's become yes, iconic. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah, you know. it is yeah. iconic. It's become iconic, it's, but it's, it's a stupid iconic. fucking kiss. I, I don't think it's that, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's no stupider I, I than anything else a, in the film. I can tell you from a practical experience, it is not, not a comfortable You're not setting the bar very high there, man. You, you've been hanging upside down in an alley when you're being kissed before? <laughs> Look, do you really want me to go into the details? <laughs> oh. He was, he was a crazy doing place, uh, man. sit-ups off of a hayloft like in Rocky IV. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, that was me theorizing. Was I was not uh. describing a time that Patrick and I have kissed, for the record. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they all say. <laughs> you asshole, have but I mean nothing to you. <laughs> Do we have anything that to was say you about the, the Spider-Man mask? It's really cheesy and cursed. Uh, <laughs> and Kirsten does well, the, this terrible. The, I mean, it's it's the thugs are kind of delightfully campy as well. They just sort of run up to her and go booga yeah. booga practically. Hey, Fantastic Four thugs. New York rape thugs. gangs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it the kiss. Oh. The kiss seems like it's one of those moments that was almost like consciously designed to appear in Oscar montages <laughs> twenty oh, yeah, years from yeah. now of yeah. films of the two thousands. I mean, you know. visually, it's uh, gorgeous. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it is like beautifully if, if you're going to show a single shot, like a single scene of this movie, that's what you're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. When no, you're going to show when Kirsten Dunst dies. That will definitely be in all of them. Uh, I mean, that, it's it's a pretty okay. shot. It is. I mean, Raimi, Raimi, Raimi is great at visual at these sort of visual shots with all the rain. It's just that it, it's a very strangely motivated scene because it makes Mary. It makes both of them a little weird because I, I don't know. Mary Jane just suddenly runs up to a person she doesn't know, well, and for all she knows, could be a hobo. And kisses after almost boy. having been raped, yeah, and I mean, she was yeah, on yeah. her way to meet her boyfriend. <laughs> She was. I mean, she like, just left Peter. Me to her. Uh, Pe she was leaving an audition. Peter comes up and talks to her. She says, "No, I have to go meet Harry." Then she is attacked, and then she just kisses Spider Man and nearly yes. raped. Uh, although that is the second time that Spider Man saved her. Uh, although the first time he did take her like six blocks away from where she was with her people, and then leave her on the roof of a building for no reason. <laughs> Never kiss a vigilante on the first day. Uh, but yeah. Kiss him on the second time they before, save you after they've kidnapped uh, you. Just before Peter goes to meet Mary Jane, 
uh, it's when uh, it's the end of the J. Jonah Jameson scene when uh, Green Goblin puts him to sleep and then takes him to the roof of that building and does not look under his mask. It seems yeah. like he's genuinely trying to form a relationship with Spider-Man here. He respects him. And during that, during that yeah. like, crazy schizophrenic monologue he has, uh, the, the phrase is, what, could we, what we could create or what we could destroy together. I, that's interesting to me because I, I wasn't clear whether he was just arguing with himself uh, as the, the Gollum-like uh, character. Pre-Gollum, though. So yeah. uh, this was six yeah. months before yeah. Two Towers came out. Uh, or whether he was Take whether he column. was just trying to get a feel for Spider-Man and trying to figure out whether they could be whether they could work together to actually build something useful, uh, and he could move out of the the supervillain phase. I mean, uh, you, or whether they could be supervillains together. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. One of the best things this movie introduced to the comic book canon is the idea that Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin are two separate personalities. It's actually no, no, I do not like that at all. <laughs> Stefan disagrees. Well, there goes my thought. I mean, it, it, go on. Uh, finish, finish, finish your thought. You're to think for yourself. It, I had. I, I will have. I will have a thought after Stefan's it, rebuttal. It's, it's something that go the normal. It's something that mostly works because of Willem Dafoe's acting abilities. Like, there's there's very few other actors who I think could successfully argue with themselves in a mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's actually this is one of the few things that transferred from this movie into the comics, though, was the <coughs> idea of Norman Osborn having a split personality. And I hadn't actually thought of... Well, that, that lasted for all of five seconds. Um, but the... Uh, by the way, for those of you playing at home, I was responding to Nick miming the organic web shooters into the camera. Um, yeah. <laughs> because P- Peter yes. did have organic web shooters, but it did not last very long. Um, I hadn't interpreted that scene as Norman arguing with himself. Like, the monologue was basically saying, he's not just talking to Spider-Man, he's talking to his own... Mm-hmm. The, the own side is in it. But now, Stefan, if you would care to rebut me. Here, here's my, my rebuttal. Um, I understand what Raimi and what uh, the screenwriters, you know, Kep was the credited one, but what all of the people who touched this film were trying to do with that. They want to establish, A, the sort of weird father-son dynamic between Norman and Harry, and they or Norman and Peter, and they want to establish... Norman as, for all intents and purposes, a relatable character. Mm. Like they, they want him to be sympathetic yeah. to some degree, to add some level of complexity to the villain. The problem that I have with that, and the reason that I don't like that it made it over to the comics, is <clears throat> when you have established that level of split personality within that character... As it was executed in this film, what that essentially does is rob the character of recognizable motivation. That is true. Huh. Norman, at that point, when he becomes this split character, from that moment on, well, really from the moment where he kills the board of directors on, has no goal except, boy, I gotta get that Spider-Man. Why? Because that Spider-Man might stop me from doing that thing I want to do. Which is, uh... (laughs) Get that Spider-Man. Well, I, he, he loses that motivation. And the way you could play that, you could play that as, well, his motivation is he's trying to integrate these halves of his whole. The motivation could be, you know, he is, pers- now that he has gotten the board out of the way, he's trying to take over New York or whatever. But you don't get a motivation out of that. So you have taken a character that could have been painted 
with a clear motivation, but with different layers in his relationship to other characters. And you have split him into two characters in the same body without a motivation that are carried only by the fact that you've hired an actor who can carry a campy level of performance. Well, I mean, that kind of touches on what, what we were talking about earlier about how everybody in this movie pretty much only has... Everything is related back to Peter. I mean, like, they don't really have... Um, motivations beyond those motivations which relate directly to Peter Parker or Spider-Man. This is unlike, say, um, uh, to pick up villain at random, Kurt Connors, the lizard. You know, the reason Kurt Connors becomes the lizard in the first place is that he injects himself with that serum because he wants to grow his arm back. Like, that motivation has jack all to do with Spider-Man. It's, mm-hmm. He wants his arm back. Yeah. Uh, dude, I, I feel like it's actually a fairly realistic portrayal of how a human would behave in this in this situation because his initial motivation for injecting himself is to prove that it works so he can get the contract so he can keep the company uh, or so that the company stays in mm-hmm. business. Then uh, mm-hmm. the company is taken from him. He's already injected with the serum, so it's already working on his psyche. It's it's driving him crazy. He's mm-hmm. he's becoming uh, angrier and and more unstable. Uh, and mm-hmm. he then he's he's gotten revenge. Uh, he he kills the rest mm-hmm. of them and. Now he's uh, obsessed with this Spider-Man character who is the only other person that uh, can, can match him. So he meets up with Spider-Man, he gasses him to kidnap him, uh, and then meets him on this roof. And I don't think it's necessarily that he's arguing with himself uh, as to whether uh, he wants to be a person who creates or a person who destroys. Mm-hmm. I think it's that he, ha- he sees multiple directions that he can go in. Some of them are mm-hmm. his older, more stable self, and some of them... Uh, are the perspectives of his unstable self. So both of them are talking to Spider-Man, and Spider-Man has an opportunity, if he completely understood what was going on, as no one ever can when they're talking to someone uh, who is just, you know, hitting them with questions repeatedly. Mm -hmm. A real human in that space wouldn't really know what was going on. He just sees a villain. So Spider-Man reacts to him as a villain, even though that is not defined within Green Goblin's own psyche, I think, at that point. Uh, it's it's probably going to be inevitable because he's going to become more unstable over time. But at this moment... In the- also has killed dozens yes, of people. but those were all specifically revenge-motivated <laughs> killings. That wasn't a desire to kill. That was a, a desire to, you know, his, his own twisted way of maintaining what he believed was so important. Like the Punisher. <laughs> uh, and I think later on, like, that, that is also the moment when Spider-Man defines himself as the nemesis of Green Goblin giving Green Goblin a new motivation, which is to kill Spider-Man. But I just don't think that's dramatic. Well, Bester, what what, what were you going to say? All right. Well, while we're on the topic of just sort of parsing out um, the the split personality, uh, one of the things that struck me about uh, Patrick's earlier um, plot synopsis was sort of describing sort of the last moment of the split personality personality where... uh, seemingly the Norman personality takes over mm-hmm. uh, momentarily. Uh, and I did not I did not believe that when well, that happened. You see, yeah, the way Patrick described it, it sounded as though the Norman personality actually was taking over and then the Goblin personality reasserted yeah. control. I read that as a lie. I, did too. I read that as him trying to get uh, Spider-Man's sympathy momentarily and then murdering him with his glider. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering what other people. I mean, I, I try to phrase yeah, it not ambiguously. Entirely, um, I think I think there might be some like sort of defense mechanism happening here, uh, 
where he's talking to himself, but I'm not I'm not 100% convinced that there is actually fully two separate personalities here. I mean, in, in the comics, the way they've been running it is that the the goblin personality is less a separate personality because in the comics, both personalities are asshole are homicidal assholes. Um, it's more that the goblin and terrible yeah, fathers. Yeah, both terrible fathers. <laughs> it's more that the goblin person. You know, it's that comment I made earlier: Lex Luthor plus the Joker equals Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn is Lex Luthor. He's cold. He's ruthless. He's calculating. The green, you know, the green goblin is the Joker. He's just an indiscriminate spree killer. So instead of thinking of the two of them in the comics as being one guy's nice, the other guy is evil. It's more that one has control but has an ego problem. The other has no ego problem but is just a complete psychotic spree killer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Well, I was just I was just talking about the movie. Yeah. I don't. I don't comics. I don't the kind of nerd. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I don't. I don't view them as like a a a good distinct personality and a bad distinct personality as so much as like that. There's his personality. One is a sane human, and then occasionally this insane version of him takes control whenever he has one of these, like, uh, unstable fits uh, due to the chemicals that the mm-hmm. drug is producing in his brain. Can I... Due to the fact that he is Willem <laughs> Dafoe. For, for the record, yes. by the way, I would like to very briefly say that one of my favorite bits in the scene where he experiments on himself is where he... He, they, they, it's like, get me the core hydropetazine, and yeah. you know, it's, it's then he smashes the bottle. He drinks it, he smashes it, and he smashes it down. Yes. And I kind of wanted to sign to somebody to go, you know how much that costs? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't drink all yeah, of it, like, we still had some in there. You didn't have to smash it, now we have to clean it up. But yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's very uh, representative of this as like a point of no turning back. Uh, yes. He has taken it, yeah. and now it's, the thing is done. Uh, the past mm. is broken. Yeah. I'd like to think Willem uh, Dafoe just messed up the line and was angry at himself. Yeah. Now we have to get a broom Damn and a dustpan and the, God, this is going to be a thing the, now. The, the thing I would like to think that he so ad-libbed everything. As I watched this. I really hope he did ad-lib everything. <laughs> the thing that made me the so angry as I gave him was this. blank. It's just everyone else's lines and blanks for his own. <laughs> yeah, like he just started talking to himself in the mirror, and they went, "Well, fuck it, go with it, go with it, go with it." No, um, it made me so angry throughout the film is what I touched on earlier with that costume design that they've chosen in this horrible fixed mask. I would pay anything to see Willem Dafoe's facial expressions as he's oh, delivering yeah. these lines. Yes. you can sort of see his mouth. And his eyes. You kind of see his mouth and his eyes through the mesh every so often, but not a whole lot. But yeah, yeah. no. Um, you hire an actor like that. Why did they design it with a goblin oh. head? It doesn't make because any it would sense. be scary if you're in the field of battle. <laughs> there is a there's video yeah. of the original goblin head they designed uh, somewhere. I don't know if we have show notes, but if we do, I'll I'll send the link along. I'm imagining it proportionally oh. the size of a mascot head. <laughs> it's it's look it up on you. <laughs> look it up on YouTube if you can find it. They they actually had tested one. And there's a very good reason why they didn't use it. <laughs> Uncanny yeah. Valley, my friends. Uncanny okay. Valley. Uh, oh, we're coming up on. Uh, uh, let's see. They've had the kiss in the rain. Then the. Then yeah. they're in the. We're, we're sort of racing toward the. Yeah, the, so uh, the film. He lures it him got, into the burning that's building. What she said. Um, the pacing of the movie just really cranks up to like twenty. Oh, okay, well, so it's. I, I I do want to talk about that for a second because I help, help me out. What is the act structure that, of this movie? Where does Act One end? Where does Act I would two say end? that Act One is is muddled around 
his his gaining of the powers uh, and his his fam- familiarizing himself with the powers before he gets the costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say Act One. Uh, so wait, wrestling is, is or is not part of that? I don't think it's definition. clear. I think this is actually very I, well structured. I think Act One. Okay. I actually would say Act gotcha. One is when is is Benton's death. That's that's the Act One break. I mean, that's yeah. okay. that's what I would. That's what I, that seemed yeah. to be the break to me. I would say Act Two's yeah. break uh, is um, probably when Aunt May gets attacked. I would say that's Act Two. That's the Act Two break. Uh, there? That could be. Yeah. It's it. It kind of depends how many acts you want to make this yeah. film. I'm, uh, you're, you're, I want to make it seven. Make it seven, Derek. Actually. Go. <laughs> no, I mean it, it, this is an actual. Oh, yeah, this is an actual issue. Like, I mean, some movies are more a kind of three act structure, mm-hmm. and and some movies are really more accurately a kind of four act. Well, I mean, this this um, movie I would actually describe that I, as a three or four act. I would describe this as an almost episodic structure because up yeah. until about up until about I would say mm. the, the Thanksgiving dinner scene. Things it's just sort of like Green Goblin just sort of happens. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I was viewing it. <coughs> you know, I would I would say it's got. I would say it it it's a pretty good candidate for a four act film. I mean, I kind of agree with um with Nick. Was it you who said or no? I forget. Sorry, who whoever said that it's it the first act kind of happens when he's kind of realized his yeah, powers and realized what weird. he's capable of because you know uncle ben's death comes actually fairly late in the film it's like 40 it's like in, it's, yeah. it's 45 minutes 40 into the minutes, film yeah. um and i think that's that's maybe a good because you know usually what happens if you're going to do a four act structure the second act is all about like modifying goals um, and really the death of uncle ben kind of bisects that second act mm-hmm. pretty pretty nicely um so I and I I'd say like the third act begins with uh, <laughs> the World Unity Festival. Yeah, so, so I, I I will buy into this because I was viewing it as a three act structure and it didn't no. make any sense to me because the, the three act the mm-hmm. act breaks that I had put in was the end of Act One is actually like after he graduates high school when he becomes Spider-Man and is in the proper costume and is swinging around, and that becomes his character. Mm -hmm. And the end of Act 2 for me was uh, when Norman leaves Thanksgiving having discovered that he's Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Mm -hmm. Those were the two shifts in the movie. But if you you do that, then you have a 50-minute first act, a, like, 35-minute second act, and a 20-minute third act. Like I mean, you can get yeah. you can the have a, make sense. most you can have a first act that long, but you your the rest of your movie has to be proportionally as long. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so I, I'm 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 liking Derek's it's, four act yeah. theory. It, it's about it's about four acts of roughly half an hour each. Yeah, which which kind of which uh, kind of as I my my point earlier point it's it is kind of episodic. It's it's more like you know four separate stories strung together. So so we would say. Um, Discovering and realizing the powers is the end of Act One. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of Uncle Ben dying and him actually becoming Spider-Man is end of Act Two. Norman uh, discovering that he's Spider-Man is end of Act Three, and then you. I mean, I mean, th- those yep. are the three big changes that happen to him. So that makes that that actually fits pretty well. Every, every one of those things is a massive change in the in the, in, in the world of that Spider-Man story. 
Okay. All right. Good work, people. Uh, now let's work, host James. a screenwriting screen seminar. <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah. it's it's actually. I, I have I have nerdy recommendations of scholarly books you can read on it. <laughs> I feel like I, it's I a prefer really the practical tight... side. Thank you. Uh, the first act <laughs> is really tight in in terms of how it gets the exposition across, uh, how it conveys the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I hate that a lot of it is done through narration, but. Uh, like Blade Runner yeah. narration. Yeah, the narration Voice is over weird. You. Like, it, who am I? You really want to yeah, know? Yeah, like the first words. The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. Uh, I mean, not, I really wish that he didn't make it a, a story about a girl. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, uh, no, it's a story, it's a story about, about, you. about a. You made it about <laughs> a girl. Uh, the narration in this movie is a little odd. I'm, I'm not sure it's ever at a, is there any point where he needs to say anything. No, he doesn't. And you also have points in the film, where multiple points, where we have flashbacks to things that occurred less than yeah. five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> You're like, well, how could anyone be expected to recognize the thief from five minutes ago, <laughs> Stefan? That's well, unreasonable to expect anybody to see that very distinctive-looking man with the frosted <laughs> tips five minutes later and go, that's okay, the same yeah. guy. Well, Look, the, if we're making, con- if the we're making confession of... time, I had frosted tips during this period of time. <laughs> 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 On the topic of Ew. voiceover narration, it's this film and The Great Gatsby that make you realize if you <laughs> need to hire someone for your voiceover narration, make sure it's not Toby Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> Make a note here, Patrick had frosted tips. Don't hire McGuire. Uh, don't hire don't McGuire. Before anyone McGuire. asks, there are no photographs of the frosted tips. They've all been uh, destroyed. Yeah, yeah I, I... Good call. Dude, did you have frosted no. tips? Is that what you're going no. to say? I have dyed my hair once, and it was black, although it did come out more of a purpley color. Uh, no, wait, I also dyed it when I had the mohawk. Anyway. Uh, yeah, you, you dyed yeah. it red in color. Uh, <laughs> it's... The narration is particularly yeah, frustrating badass. because it's not a story about a girl at all. It's a story ostensibly about nope. a girl, but that ends up being about the exact opposite of that. Unless you define the about oh a girl as being the rejection of the girl because he is taking up his sense of duty. Uh, I mean, it, it, it kind of, again, it gets back to the fact that I, I really do think a lot of this movie's weird problems are it, it did not, tr- I don't know if it trusted the audience enough to really grok that the vet that what spider-man was oh <laughs> uh, why yes, i just said got to that point we're excusing the uh, word grok. nerd <laughs> i i guess i would agree with that uh but i would say that a large well the way i would phrase the largest problems with this film is that so much of it seems to conflict with itself but as i said earlier the 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 role of Mary Jane and Peter Parker, like how long they've known each other versus what their relationship is, is very confused. Um, the, I would, yeah. I mean, but on, or how long Harry and Peter yeah, have known each uh, other. But on a deeper also, thematic please. level, like there, there are very clear morals in a lot, like overt subtext has become text morals in a lot of places. Oh, yeah. But then there are also... With great power yes. comes great responsibility. But, and, and then during the final Green Goblin confrontation, where he narrates the choice that he is giving him, and he has a couple lines of dialogue that don't make any sense. He says, oh, he says, uh, your actions determine who you, or your choices determine who you are. Why would the villain say that to him? That is, we are who that's we choose. born as a father figure, saying that to Peter Parker yeah. as... A son figure, but 
that it's it's mm. all very confused because on, there are instances where it does a really good job of demonstrating on a su- subtle level the parallels between the characters. Like when Peter Parker uh, get, gets his powers without trying uh, and uh, their benevolent powers versus when Norman Osborn is trying mm-hmm. to get powers and they make him malevolent. Like those scenes are right next to each mm-hmm. other, but they're not like thrust in your face. No one says, and these two characters get superpowers and are different. <laughs> <laughs> Stan Lee just pops up and starts narrating. I would actually love to learn... I mean, because we... Stephen, you talked about the, t- the very weird time of this movie getting made. I wonder if that really convoluted process of how we came to be had anything to do with the, the seemingly conflicting nature of a lot of what was going on in here. Well, I, I felt that this was the first big Marvel film. It's the first one that Stan Lee is in, correct? Uh, no, he's in X-Men 1. Uh, he, oh, yes, he yeah, was, sorry. He X- yeah, sorry, I forgot about X-Men beach. 1, of course. But um, it, it's the, it, this is the one that was the monster. Yeah, yeah this made so much money. And I remember the, the marketing push for this being enormous. Like, X-Men, I remember being a big deal, yeah. but this was, like, a summer <laughs> event. Uh, this was that, like, Labor Day weekend yeah. film, I believe. Um, yeah. It, and and anyone thing, know sorry, what came out... What came out two weeks after this film? What? Oh, shit. Uh, the Sum of All Fears. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a manner of speaking, it was Star Wars Episode 2. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I would have seen these right around. Oh, right God. God. Yeah. Oh, God. Attacking uh, the clones. Yeah, it's the clones. They're attacking. <laughs> the clones. Sorry, that's... I feel like... I, in a weird sort of way, though, I, like that film kind of puts Spider-Man in perspective. Like this is this is a really actually pretty decent. Oh yeah, film, I think it's very right? well made. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I, I don't think any anyone's disputing that point. But you know, just you know, in terms of like the whole series, you know, I'd, I'd say this is possibly the best, the second best. I don't know. We we can save that question for later. Yeah, I mean, but. yeah. I've, that's one we will argue about. <laughs> yeah. We all know which one I think is the best. <laughs> Number two. That is going to be an amazing argument. Uh, um, it's not the fucking second one. Screw that fucking awful movie. I mean, Spider-Man really is the growing pains. I will stand up and say that I am disputing that this is a decent movie. It, it, it is the like growing pains of the Marvel Universe. Because, oh. you know, this, this, is the, this is when it... Like Kurt Cameron. Yeah, this, is when it, this is when it became huge. And I don't know if they were really expecting yeah. it to be as big as it was. They were probably expecting to make a lot of money. I don't think they were expecting $100 million in the first weekend money. I, I think you can definitely say they weren't expecting it. Because when we look at the next several films, <laughs> they were clearly not designed for this level of success. Um. Um, Sorry, we, we've been talking Just, for. Uh, uh, I, I I strayed away from the final point I was trying to make about uh, the muddled morality, yeah. uh, because I feel like throughout All the right. film that there is a very clear message that family relationships are the most important thing in your life. Uh, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Peter Parker yeah. is has this driven into him repeatedly, uh, like by people telling him and by the consequences of his actions. But then at the end of the film, mm-hmm. he says that. Uh, it is inevitable that he will – the, the people that he cares about are the people who will get hurt uh, when he tries to do blah 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 And so his, his – the decision that he makes is to not care uh, – like to not accept Mary Jane into his life 
which is the exact opposite of what the film has seemed to have been saying so far, that you need to rely on your, your close relationships and rely on the people around you. And it seems like he, as a character, completely misses the point of everything that he's gone through. A little bit, yeah. I mean, arguably, you know, th that Norman and Harry are like the most dysfunctional family ever, and they are the bad guys of the piece. Oh, definitely. But the, the, only, the only thing that I would say sort of to, to, to counter that would be it depends on... Okay, so you have your protagonist. What is the journey that you're setting him on? Uh. Are you setting him on a journey where the end goal is to realize the importance of family, or are you setting him on a different journey? And I would argue that in a lot of ways, this is a voyage to manhood film. And the idea of becoming a man, a Spider-Man, <laughs> if you will. Wait, hold is... on. Spider? Explain that. I just got the title. Oh! <laughs> is is to, um, to accept the responsibilities that come with that. And this is sort of the point that keeps being driven home with the, the cliched line. But I viewed the end of the film not as Peter rejecting the importance of family, the importance of friends, the importance of those relationships, because he says quite clearly, you know, I am here yeah. as your friend. You know, he's not severing the relationship, but as him coming to terms, rightly or wrongly, with the idea that there are responsibilities that he has now that are greater than the um the thing that he necessarily wants for himself. Booty. It's booty. He wants and it booty. makes it makes it makes perfect sense given the film we've just seen, right? He yeah. spends the whole movie after MJ's booty. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. But what he was really looking for was the booty that was inside him all along. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was I, looking for the booty of his soul. I never mean to say that he's he's rejecting family or friends, but I, I mean that he is he's uh, all of his instances through the film of failure are him mm -hmm. w w uh, relating to his family when he forgets about the painting, when he's he's mean to Uncle Uncle Ben, and then he gets killed. Uh, mm -hmm. When uh, anyway, uh, but let me hold on. Let me think about this. Uh, yeah, keep, keep talking. You guys out. can talk, and I, I will. <laughs> well, I'll phrase. While you're thinking about this, I would just like to continue with yes. the booty jokes. <laughs> yeah. uh, the long, but, dark booty of the soul. I'm pretty sure that booty of the soul is an Isaac Hayes <laughs> <Cain> album. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, while he's thinking that through, I have a question for you. Let's say you move to a new town, and you make a new best okay. friend. And you okay. know that this best friend is madly in love with somebody and has been for the better part of the okay. last decade. How long do you wait before you move in on her? Like six months? Because that seems to be how long Harry must have waited. No, I think that the uh, the the crucial moment is at graduation when uh, Harry, who has previously rejected his father as a father figure, uh, sees Mary Jane break up with Flash. But at that same time, Norman ah! is talking... To, uh, to Peter. Norman has sort of adopted Peter as yep. his son, uh, and it seems like Harry takes that as his cue to, or, you know, like, his uh, reasoning for going after Mary Jane. 
Um, so you're saying dickishness? You, you took my father. Yeah, I'm going to take the girl you're in love with. Uh, so what you're telling me is that in this case, dickishness is a genetic is a genetic trait. <laughs> well, I think it's very clear yeah, that not, Harry not is a jerk is... through most of the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not only is Norman a terrible father, but Harry's a terrible son. Yeah, I don't think son. it's so much him being a terrible and father as Harry friend. being and friend. kind of a dick. Well, I guess it's both at once, but I'm sure they created each other. Those Osbournes are assholes. <laughs> But they sell some great houses over <laughs> <Yeah>. in <Atlanta. laughs> Harry Norman Realty. Catch so it. we are at uh, one hour and 52 minutes. Oh we should probably sort of move, uh, move to our closing thoughts, and then we need to uh, we do need to discuss how we're handling next week, uh, the next episode. Yes, yeah, so uh, I, I have something I want so, to t- tell you about that. So, so, so closing thoughts. Um, let us go in reverse this time. Um, I I will give my closing thoughts. Um, I think the film, as we kind of touched on, it's not a bad film. It strikes me as a very heavily processed film. Like, there there are moments in the film, like the kiss, that were very clearly designed to maximize commercial appeal. And when you think about that in the context of the marketing budget behind it, the big push there, everything that they were trying to do with it, even if they didn't expect it to be the hit that it was, they were trying to make a hit. I think that doing that, Sam Raimi is a very interesting choice. (laughs) Yes. Um, Diplomatically put. That being said... The tonal mishmash that we kind of came back to. Yes. That mishmash to me was the most interesting thing in the film because it jarred me back into being interested in the film over the course of it. Because they, we would have these long, sappy moments. And then it, Willem Dafoe would be crawling across the floor talking to a chair. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh. To be so- fair, that chair had a mask in it. <laughs> It's true. It was, it was a face yes. chair. Um, the, the, the so you you had that mishmash and it it was weird, but it kind of kept me hooked. The other thing which we haven't really talked about a lot that I kept coming back to as I I watched it over and over again is the casting in the film. I thought Toby Maguire and Kirsten Dunst were horribly miscast or not given a lot to work with. I thought Willem Dafoe was exceptionally well cast, yeah. yes. but used sometimes in questionable ways. I thought James Franco would have been a significantly more compelling Spider-Man than Tobey Maguire would have. Yes, actually. Interesting. Yeah, probably. I don't know that uh, his line delivery at the funeral was probably was one of the worst line deliveries in the entire film. That I swear on my father's grave, Spider-Man will pay. <laughs> Yeah, how do you deliver that line? Dude, deliver that line. But imagine Toby Maguire delivering that on line. my father's oh. grave, Spider-Man will pay. You should play Harry. <laughs> no one tells no one tells Like, you should be choked up yeah. when he's saying that. Nobody or puts Harry in the so corner. dead that, that the emphasis comes only from, like, uh, uh, the, the, well, I don't know. It's so a, interesting. A better that, delivery of a monotonous voice. Because I want to yeah. say that it would yeah. come from his monotone, but it's a very bad monotone. I mean, it's so you have those those weird casting choices, but at, on the secondary casting level, the supporting cast is top notch. You've got J.K. Mm-hmm. Simmons, um, Cliff Robertson, 
who played Uncle Ben, Oscar winner Cliff Robertson. Um, that's a pretty thankless <laughs> job. Here's your job. You have five minutes of screen time, then you're killed, and everyone needs to love you in that time because the entire movie hinges on them loving you yeah. when you die. Yeah. That's a tough he did, job. He does it, though. And he pulls it uh, And I think yeah. Aunt May. I don't know who played Aunt May, but she was great. Rosemary yeah. Harris, Rosemary who is a, a Tony Award-winning oh, okay. actress and multiple like Academy Award-winning. She hasn't won Academy Awards, but mm-hmm. nominated for Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. I mean, very you know, grand old dame of Hollywood. And I mean, it's funny because in a lot of ways, I mean, you kind of touched on this earlier, but how there's this sort of weird tension between the commerciality of it versus Sam Raimi's clear desire to turn this into a Sam Raimi movie. Um, and yeah. it, you kind of, it's kind of the same way where... You know the 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 supporting cast members are either all like you know they are academy they're award, either they're award winners or they're like just really ultra solid character actors. I mean, you can throw J.K. Simmons and Willem Dafoe in almost anything, walk away and know that whatever you've cast them as, they'll probably be fine in it. But you know, Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Kirsten Dunst, they're just coming off of like you know they're they're pretty, they're coming off of these things, and it's. It, 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 I would really love to know about all that behind-the-scenes dealing that went on for the making of this movie. You know, partially just because I'm a, I'm a nut for that sort of stuff. But I really do wonder the push and pull between studio and creative on this one. Because at, this, at the current point in, in the thing, you know, Joss Whedon can wander in and basically say, Hey, I'd like to use two characters that we may not technically legally have the rights to. I'm just gonna do it, and yeah. and they're just gonna be go. They're just gonna be like, fine, whatever you get. You get to do whatever you want. This was, you know, at the time when it is a little processed. It is like, you know, we we want to, you know, we want to make this into a thing, and you can kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, they they wanted to make Iron Man a thing. They wanted to make them all into a thing, but you can. It's there's a, there's there's much more obviousness of. I don't know what the term is, but commerciality is the best term I can come up with off the top of my head here. You know, the, you, you can see you can see the gears here. I guess is the way I'd put it. You know, the you you know the 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 gears of Captain America are not as obvious. The gears in this version of Spider Man, looking back in time, because that's the really interesting thing. At the time, I loved the crap out of this movie, and I still enjoy the movie, oh, yeah. but never not to the degree that I did when I was sixteen. See, you talk about not seeing the gears in Captain America, but when they dropped that 1940s music number in the middle of the film, I thought to myself, God, they're really going for the I'm sorry, but that, I, love, I love and will defend that 1940s musical that, section that is, to that the is death. My, that is my favorite it reminds me of my own childhood at the Sock Hitler. <laughs> Teens love, love punching Hitler. Hitler. It's just mm-hmm. it's a known fact. It's one of the truisms of advertising. So the, the, yes. that's uh, sort of my takeaway. Interesting uh, choice between the commercial aims and the director, and the supporting cast really nailed it much more than. I mean, that did. also being said, um, pa- Patrick, what what are what are your final thoughts? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, following up on what all the stuff I've really said, you know, the, the thing you we do have to appreciate on the, some level for this movie is that without this, we don't have anything else. You know, it, it, without. Life does not matter. <laughs> Literally, the world would have ended. Spider-Man saved us all. You know, without without Spider-Man, we're we, our podcast would be ending in about three more episodes, and we'd be done with this entire project. Guys, I have something we can I have to talk to you about. <laughs> I mean, you know, every, everything builds 
We've all been living in the Matrix, and all of those movies didn't happen. <laughs> you know, everything would have been... <laughs> this explains so much. Everything builds off yeah. of this, you know, and... I talked a bit about earlier about the commerciality and the clear tug of war between commerciality and, and art, which is kind of the larger tug of war for every movie that ever gets made. But, you know, we needed that commerciality to happen or we wouldn't have gotten those later movies that I'm, I don't feel like I'm going to get argued with. We love to death, you know, so it, oh, well, yeah, I mean, like we, we, it, 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 this is this is actually something I've been really kind of struggling with ever since I moved out here to Hollywood and been working out here is that, you know, I do think of myself as an artist. I do think of myself as having artistic integrity. On the other hand, I want that first job. And gotta I got to eat. eat and I want to, you got to break in. So I can kind of, I can almost sympathize with them, even if I do think some of the choices they made were to the detriment of the movie. The casting of Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire who have done great work in other things, being one of them. They, I don't think they're bad actors. They're just not very well cast actors. And I don't think that putting Mary Jane so forefront was a good idea. It actually... I actually... I'm, I speak as a person who loves Mary Jane. I found her depiction in this... <laughs> yes, I mean we... Man. <laughs> yeah, man. Sorry, it's 1978 again. This is going to be... Phrasing is just going to be the, the, the opening word for this, this one. <laughs> Phrasing! Phrasing! Oh, that's the, that's the tag at the beginning Phrasing. of the episode. It's just Bester screaming Phrasing. Um, you know... I want Joe Phrasing. This, I, I love the character, but the way they use her in this movie, it's she's almost the, the poster child for failing the Bechtel and Sexy Lamp tests. Um... <laughs> For I know everyone knows the Bechtel test. The sexy lamp test, by the way, is when if you can replace a female character with sexy lamp and the, and the plot remains the same. Yeah. As in, oh no, the Green Goblin has kidnapped my sexy lamp. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, she's as two dimensional as any character that I as any. I mean, oh no, no. oh no, Argy I'm hanging upside down, and a sexy lamp is kissing me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I actually also, if I'm going to be injured, that sexy lamp is about to get raped. I better say, I, if I'm going to be sexy lamp rape is not a joke. I need to credit, give credit where credit is due. The sexy lamp test is courtesy of my writing partner, Lillian, um, everyone. Nice. So I nice. did not come up with that. It is my writing partner. Thank you, Lillian. Thank you, That's Lillian. very good. Thanks, Lillian. One, one, maybe one day I'll invite her on because I think she would make a very interesting addition for certain movies. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Bet, Let's yep. do it. Bester, your final thoughts. Um, I think I think both of you guys have hit on a lot of sort of my main thoughts about this. Anything you I'm want like, to endorse? <laughs> well, <laughs> Let's see, what are the blue things cigar- that I blue, so cigarettes. blue cigarettes? Blue cigarettes. Blue cigarettes, Harry Norman Realty. Terriers. Uh, Terriers. Terriers, yes. By the uh, way, you're, did you see that yes. your favorite man, Donald Logue, just got cast in Gotham? <laughs> I did, yes. I, I, tweet, I tweeted uh, both dudes yep. and uh, I had like a half hour long I think, argument I think with, with I... my writing partner about whether that was good or not. So we'll talk about that another no, time. No, it's good. Right. It's good. Um, Unlike unlike uh, Patrick, Patrick, you were talking about how you loved this when it came out when we were 15, 16, however old we were when it came out. I honestly didn't actually like this movie all that much when it came out. I didn't hate it, but I it didn't really click with me mm-hmm. at the time, and I definitely really did not like the uh, the second one when it came out. Um, and I don't think mist, miscast is a phrase I, I probably would have used when I was that age, 
But I think I was very, at the very least, I was keenly aware of that Tobey Maguire was miscast even then. Because, uh, I mean, we talked about how he very much uh, looks the part. Like, he's, if you just had a picture of Tobey, Tobey Maguire, you go, yeah, all right, that's what Peter Parker looks like. He's a dweeby, skinny, white guy. Um, or at least sort of the canonical Peter Parker, obviously, you can get into arguments about Donald Glover and things like that. Uh, he obviously doesn't need to be that. Yeah. But, uh, and I think, I think at the time when I was arguing about this when in high school, uh, as like a freshman, I think I focused more on like the timber of his voice somehow, like something about the, something about, which I think was just a way of me trying to enunciate a thoughts on his delivery. But I just, he doesn't, he doesn't deliver the lines right. He doesn't. He doesn't feel like super. Uh, not super. Well, he certainly doesn't feel like Superman. But he, he definitely does open also doesn't his shirt like and reveal his costume like Superman, though. Yes, there's uh, there's obviously a very overt uh, sp- uh, Superman homage there happening. And he tears the spider off his chest and throws it and expands and traps General Zod. It's <laughs> so weird. Oh, okay, no, we, we did watch the same Spider-Man. Then. That was my mistake earlier. Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> yes. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think I think the main thing was uh, the sort of the issue of the tonal mismatch uh, that we were talking about, uh, and I think in some ways we'll we'll talk about this more when we get there. But there's a there's a very real reason that the third Spider-Man, Spider-Man Three, is my favorite one, and that's because I feel like it's the one that really embraces the camp. It's the one where Sam Raimi says, "Fuck it, we're just gonna do it my way." They're not letting me do this, uh, do it uh, the way this they want it one. to. So we're just going to go full on. We're just going to go on full on crazy, uh, and I appreciate it for that. And I mean, g- given that uh, we're all like very major fans of very campy movies, particularly uh, Batman and Batman Robin, and Robin which we've yes. seen so many and fucking times. <laughs> uh, it's pretty much such a great example of high camp. I just and there's sort of hints around the periphery of this movie that that's a possibility. We've talked about uh, Willem Dafoe's performance. We have the wrestling scene. We have World Unity Day. J.K. Simmons delivers a great uh, performance that would fit into this. And if the rest of, like, the core, the core three characters, uh, Peter and uh, Mary Jane and Harry, although I do feel like there are some times when James Franco sort of slips into sort of the right tone, but most of the time he's not quite there. If those three characters could just, you know, get their shit together and be on the same amazing campy page that Willem Dafoe is on, I don't think that this would be as successful a movie. We talked about the way that it is right now. That's why it became a $100 million movie and why we have the Marvel Universe that we have now. I don't think the campy movie that I want this to be would be as successful, but I think I would enjoy that movie a whole fuck ton more. (laughs) Derek? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with, with all of you guys. I mean, it's it's interesting, um, I guess, um, either, Patrick, it was either you or Stefan who used the phrase processed. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of, I guess there's another way to kind of read the idea of processed. I mean, you know, you you were using it in sort of the sense of like, you know, kind of a commercial processing. It's, a, you know, this sort of idea yeah. of a standardized Hollywood. Yeah, yeah product i think you could also look at it in a more positive light though in the sense that i mean it's processed in the sense that it's crafted like i i really Mm -hmm. think that this movie is especially well put together structurally i mean i think this is a really solid david kep screenplay Mm -hmm. um yeah we talked about you know the casting is is maybe a little bit off but the bones of this film are pretty strong 
Um, and I, I think kind of writing off of that, I mean, you talked about the tension between, uh, you know, the, the creatives and the, and the studio. I think, I think this is kind of an example of where that was productive, at least in a financial sense, right? Because you, you get these, these very cool moments of, you know, Sam Raimi style, um, kind of peeking up through the cracks, certainly not as much as maybe they did in <laughs> Spider-Man 3, as Nick, as Nick was pointing out. Um, uh, but you also, you know, you also... Cannot wait to talk about that. <laughs> but, you know, you you also get, um, you get all of that in a nicely structured package. Like, I can't think of a single scene in this film that doesn't seem necessary, that doesn't seem to do some productive work in, yeah, it's all, in all telling the story. Sure. Uh, you know, and yeah. you can and you can read that as sort of work a day and and processed. I kind of read it as you know, it's it's pretty well crafted. I mean, considering this started as a canon film, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> come on, fair enough. That's fair. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's, that's how that's how I read I mean, it. I tend to read. Kind of, it I, I didn't mention this earlier. You know, I don't begrudge people the need to make a successful movie. And I never have. I mean, it's or rather, let me phrase that. I did when mm. I was a dumbass just starting film school. Um, and then I discovered money does not grow on trees. Um, I'm going to be an artist, and everyone's going to pay it. We're not going to... Fortunately, I didn't know you guys at that point, and we're going to we all be thankful for that. Yeah. We would have butchered you. Oh, my you. God. And I I'm would have sure we have all it. had that phase. <laughs> I would have deserved it. It was oh, bad. Yeah. But, um, no, I mean, it, I, I, I agree with you in that, you know, you... I don't. I don't bear them ill will. I think they were trying to make what they could make, and and I'm I, like I said, I'm glad we have this because without this, mm-hmm. we don't have Iron Man. The rest, yeah, the rest just isn't going to happen. Dude. Okay, a couple of bullet points for my notes that we haven't covered yet, uh, and I didn't think of exactly the way I want to phrase. Uh, the point I was making earlier. All right, excellent. Uh, I actually have... Okay, okay, okay. If I could have a final thought after another final thought, because there, there is a point that I had on my notes okay. that I realized okay. I could get to, but dude, uh, go one of, the, one of the best lines that I forgot to mention earlier, shortly after uh, the... After Norman Osborn is ogling Peter's uh, scratch like a starving vampire uh, at, at the Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner, when he's... That is exactly yes. how he ogles uh, When it, he yes. storms out and uh, he and... Harry have the confrontation in the hallway. Just as he gets into the elevator, what he says is that uh, Harry should get what he wants from Mary Jane and then broom her fast. <laughs> Meaning he should sweep her away. <laughs> like she is literally just refuse that you put in the dustbin. Oh my God. <laughs> you should broom that sexy lamp away. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this movie is becoming much more misogynist in hindsight. That's true. Uh, That's a great the whole line. time I was like, None of the female. There are two females in this movie, and neither yeah. of them are developed at all. Aunt May exists only to 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 be Aunt May, uh, and, and you know yes. have concern for whether Peter's going to finally meet that or finally tell that girl next door how he feels in and the most awkward, poorly phrased, but probably <laughs> realistic scene in the film. Uh, and and fake being yes, in a fake coma. being in a coma. That's we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> For scene. days at a time. <laughs> uh, 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 the next bullet point. This is a rookie 
in a wrestling match. This is a rookie getting into the ring. Why is it a cage match? Why is it a cage match? <laughs> Actually, I also want to make this point. Uh, why is he upset that it's a cage match? It seems like he yeah. would have a natural, you know, fitting for cage match. Oh, okay, now we can jump and stick to things. Yeah, I... Yeah, he doesn't have anything to stick to in a non-cage match. Uh, that is match. true. That's that's a valid point. It just seems he like... He should be all like, oh, yeah, cage match. <laughs> Everyone has come into the ring, and every single person he has met has been like, you're going to die because you're tiny. And, and uh, whoever runs the ring, whoever's rolling the dice for the cage match says, yep, well, definitely got to be this kid. Uh, but... Bester, you, you had a miniature. Uh, oh, I, oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, oh, dude, sorry, dude. dude. What, what I wanted to say earlier about feeling like the, the moral of the, the film conflicts is that consistently I feel that the message of the film is that pushing people away, pushing your friends and your family away is a bad thing. That all of Peter's trouble comes from him pushing others away uh, and, and uh, not putting those relationships before everything else. And that bringing them closer is important. Uh, that if he had told... If he had just confronted Harry immediately about the relationship with Mary Jane, it wouldn't have festered. Uh, if any of these people had just told each other their secrets, if Norman had dealt with the fact that, you know, he, if he hadn't gone through this thing alone, he probably could have uh, overcome the side effects of the drug. Uh, and, and then he still pushes uh, Mary Jane away at the end. It was very frustrating. Uh, but uh, also this movie, I, I think it's obviously a movie about family and friends, but it's also the first movie that I know of that has brought a, a very important social issue to life and and er, to light, and that is schizophrenia among supervillains. <laughs> we do not have I'm, enough movies addressing ha- how how dangerous it is for supervillains to have schizophrenia. I was actually it's the a beautiful mind. Of I was looking up. Um, I was doing some brief research because I've been out of comics for a while, and I wanted to kind of re re see what what was up lately with these characters. And they've actually given Norman Osborn a full diagnosis, is that he is manic-depressive uh, with delusional narcissistic grandeur psychopathy. <laughs> and, and, let, and Dr. Sure. Sampson, the, the psychiatrist played by Ty Burrell in the, in the Incredible Hulk movie. Uh, don't, yeah, we'll uh, talk about that eventually. Uh, do we have to talk about Ty Burrell? Uh, he, he makes this, the character makes this great comment where people always forget that clinically... Uh, to be psychotic and to be psychopathic are two different things, but in Norman Osborn they are. That's interesting because I, I actually looked up sociopathy and, and or, uh, uh, what a psychotic and a sociopath is a couple of years ago, and the mm. dictionary that I checked and said they were the same thing. They're not. Psycho- to be psychotic is, any, is a descriptor for any number of specific neuroses, most of which involve mania. To be okay. psychopathic, that is where you're basically just, oh. eh, I will kill whoever I want because screw them all. I'm sorry, you said psychopathic and psychotic? Psychopathic and psychotic okay. are two I heard, different I heard things. sociopathic and uh, psychopathic. Oh, the the difference mistake. between sociopathic and psychopathic is that a sociopath does not care who he hurts. A psychopath enjoys hurting people. Okay, I didn't know that. All right, yeah. that is the, the distinction I've been looking for a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Bester, you, you said you had one last mini final thought. Yeah, I have, a, I have a couple things on my uh, list of notes. Most of them are how awful spider sense is. Uh, and I also I, have I'm imagining, here. like, notebooks from seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but, and I do also have a note here that just says George Lazenby. That goes back to... Uh, <laughs> We're going to wake up and find that, that Bester has uh, killed. That yeah. goes back to your thing. But uh, but the point I did want to uh, address briefly, and this is, this is obviously a bit of a digression, 
what must the Columbia PR people be like that they keep signing off on these movies that make them seem kind of stupid? Because uh, I feel like Columbia, I don't think, shows up all that often in movies, unlike something like Harvard, for instance, where yeah. it generally comes off well. Whereas Columbia in movies is, you know, sponsoring mm-hmm. fucking pseudoscience psychic research into ghosts and has a science department that's breeding spiders for no reason. <laughs> they have. I just feel like cinematically... Columbia is not doing very well on this on the silver screen, Dude. and whoever it is who is like in the legal department signing off on this should maybe go. You know what? No, we're not going to say that we have a science department. <laughs> <laughs> to to be fair, they do they do fire Peter Venkman and Ray Stans. Yeah, that's true. That's yes, true. yes, but they're also right in that movie, which makes that decision wrong. Yeah, Columbia doesn't have perspective. They don't exactly. understand. Columbia, they don't... so in this one, in this one, Columbia's too big picture. They're like, fuck it, we're just going to let you do science, whatever the fuck that means. Go breed spiders together for reasons. And in Ghostbusters, they're like, no, this thing is far outside our, our idea of what science is. We're not going to uh, allow that there could be ghosts and this Lovecraftian well, it, horrors. It's, it's, a, it's a pendulum. So in Ghostbusters, exactly. they rejected that idea, and then they overcompensated in the other direction. Exactly. Exactly. They saw the millions and millions that the Ghostbusters made. We're going to ignore the existence of Ghostbusters 2 here. Uh, and they're like, well, fuck it. Everybody who has any scientific idea whatsoever, come here. Breed spiders together. Sure. Good. So, Columbia right. needs to get its shit together about how it's being portrayed on screen because it's a laughing stock. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yale doesn't have these problems. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, Yale doesn't it's, have spider labs. You don't know it's, that. It's like like we, it's like we always set up at Cornell. You know what uh, a Cornell and a Columbia student both What's have in that? common? They both got into Columbia. <laughs> you Ivy League ass. Boo! For all the Columbia students out there. Now bring me pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. Any, so any, that... any final thoughts? Anything else? Uh, no. I'm I do have Nickelback notes. on my list of notes. Do we want to talk about Nickelback? Well, will a we hero have. save us? Um, no. I was a little upset that uh, when Norman was in his penthouse by himself drinking... Uh, he was drinking something as Maker's Mark. As Maker's Mark. <laughs> but he was not always a billionaire, will... and his t- tastes developed before that. I will point out that in that scene as well, he does eventually smash <laughs> that glass. Norman hate glasses. Well, I don't know. I don't know about. I don't know a lot about liquors, but I have to say that if something is classy enough to get advertised to me through Hulu Plus, it must be pretty fucking good. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think that's it. I think we have we have covered Spider Man. Uh, dude, are you ready Bonzo to wrap up? Bonzo is ready to wrap up. <laughs> Reedy, sorry. Reedy to wrap up. Reedy. I gotta go on. Reedy.